You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Friday, the 15th of April. It is Good Friday. Good weather too here in TW11. It's a beautiful day for the Easter weekend. It is all weather finals day today. It's the Lambourne Open Day, which you heard about yesterday. Pressing forward through the weekend with excellent action either side of the Irish Sea. Uh, with Newbury's Greenham and Fred Darling fixture, the Irish Grand National at Fairy House taking place on Easter Monday. Lydia Hislop is with me today. And Lydia, I think there's no better place to start than with what we have just had, because you have been on a hand for all three days of the Craven meeting. It does feel like we're in full swing now. It seemed like you were having a great time. What really left an impression on you over the three days? I really enjoyed it. It was really good fun. I mean, the good the good weather obviously helped. Newmarket is much better when it when the when the sun is shining. Well, seven winners I think for William Buick was a, a highlight. How strongly um, the Charlie Appleby Godolphin Yard have resumed. Um, some of their winners really exciting, notably Native Trail, who continues to impress in physical appearance, but also. In Master of the Seas being brought back as a gelding and, and maybe he might be able to scale the heights that he promised when second in the 2000 guineas last year. Um, some two-year-olds, you know that I'm, I'm not generally wowed by two-year-olds, but I really did like the two two-year-old performances. I liked Tajala for Roger Varian, who also had a really strong meeting. And I liked Paradress and the runner-up Yarsat in the Phillies event. Um, I think the times when you break them down, both back up that both of those races, albeit not the biggest field, are both really strong. I'm looking forward to um, entertaining Roger Varian, or him entertaining me, I should say. That's the right way around, isn't it? On Luck on Sunday this weekend on Racing TV, free to view, nine o'clock, of course. Uh, and he had a, a very productive week, as you were saying. He described his two-year-old as a dude to Jala. There's not, not many times I've heard him use words like that to describe a horse. A Maynard and Aiden uh, being... Aiden, was it Aiden? Eden. 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 Uh, his, uh, his field and stakes winner are the very notable performers. Very much so. Um, Eden was right out of the blue to us watching on. He was not for 2 ran at Newcastle twice, quite promisingly on both occasions, met some trouble in running the first time around. Roger blames himself for running the horse when he was still developing the second time around. He thinks he wasn't really right for that race. Uh, but clearly he'd been working particularly well in recent weeks, especially in the past, in the last two weeks. And owner Prince Fazel was, is pat- particularly likes to go big. Um, and so he would rather uh, Roger runs this horse in something like the fielder, which is listed level, than go to a novice again. And he very much justified that faith. And it, this was, race was notable for not being run at a particularly strong pace. He was right out the back, but he was one of only two horses to actually settle in the race. Some of the more fated horses were pulling too hard and he just rolled on past. David Egan, who rode him, was talking about how big he is, you know, the, the strength of this horse. And afterwards, I was trying to get Roger to, to sort of tell me where they were thinking of going. He's got entries in the Guineas, the Dante and the Derby. It sounded like he was sort of thinking 10 furlongs. But then when I asked him 
could he rule out the Guineas? He was inclined not completely to do so. So it's going to be very interesting to see what they do with Eden next. And Tajala, as you said, a dude. I don't know whether I could ever remember Roger calling a, a horse a dude before, but you can see what I mean. The horse seems is obviously very, very forward. Andrea Etzeda, who rode him, was also talking about how this horse had been marked out from quite an early stage as being completely together as a two-year-old from a very early stage, ahead of his peers. He showed the kind of speed where you'd be thinking Norfolk, Roger Verin was talking about taking in another race en route and then of course there was a Maynard the previous day uh, she got had a, a has a guineas entry um, and she got off the mark at the second time of asking having run with promise on her sole start as a two-year-old but I was particularly taken with Eden and, and Tajala yeah Tajala first season side Kassar getting off the mark mm. in the best possible style there it looks another winner for Tally Host and another son of Kodiak to make an instant impression with early two-year-olds. Talking of speed, Lydia, lovely to see Henry Candy with another good sprinter, Twilight Calls. There was sort of something quite reassuring about that, I found. There was a sort of reassuring constancy about the, the sight of you interviewing Henry Candy, <laughs> who does not seem to change or age one bit. It's true. that That is true. And we were talking about having talked about this horse a year earlier when the horse was still an entire and there were hopes that he could follow um, Twilight Sun and Kalaki through and become um, the next horse to rise up through the ranks for Henry Candy and, and Chiefly Park Stud. Uh, he, he had a good season last season, but without quite delivering on the, the potential, the ability that you really do feel, and certainly Henry feels, that this horse has. And the race set up perfectly for him yesterday. There were a couple of front runners who took each other on um, into the final furlong, which gave him a target to run at, which he went smoothly past. He was running for the first time as the gelding, so he's now going to have to try and climb the ranks and give Chiefly Park some fun at a higher level, and Henry is going to roll the big dice he's not going I was thinking is he going to go to a to a handicap at York or maybe no he's going to go to the Palace House next so he thinks that the kind of group class pace that hopefully will pervade in races such as that will continue to set things up for Twilight Calls who he has now accepts and embraces is a bang five furlong horse okay I thought there were a couple of interesting little side points over the three days one of which was two wins in the silks of Peter Brandt and his white birch farm operation, one of whom was the Wood Ditton winner, Francesco Clemente. Every year we say, is the Wood Ditton winner going to be any good? I suspect this year the answer might be yes, very probably. Could be. Uh, I got the impression from John Gosden that he sees this horse as a slow burner. I, I don't think he's going to be rushing him. I think he's going to be trying to take him up through the ranks quite steadily. Okay, so are we likely to see, Lydia, the most potent threats to native trail in the 2000 guineas emerging this weekend at Newbury? I kind of know the answer to this question, I think. I think no is the answer to that question. Uh, I think the horse that's going to be the most potent threat is stabled in the same yard and was galloping the morning of the Craven on Wednesday, Caribus. Uh, nonetheless, that is not to do down the horses that are running in the green. It's just that I, possibly angel blur aside, have stamina concerns. Yeah, perfect power we know could be a very good miler, but is more likely on pedigree to be a very good sprinter. Either which way, we know he's a very good horse. He's got comparable form so far to Angel Blur, Rafe Beckett's horse, and Lucille. Richard Hannan said he felt Lucille seven furlongs okay, a mile he's really not sure. Yes, uh, it, it's it's the mile question. I mean, some of these might well get seven furlongs well. Some of them, I mean, you, you might end up with an impressive winner who's beaten a field of horses that would need six furlongs. So, you know, this has the potential to confuse, I think, this race. 
And as far as the Phillies race is concerned, the Fred Darling, I, I joked yesterday that Charlie Appleby was giving everybody a chance <laughs> by not having a runner, even though he was going to run Caribus, Corobus, Caroibus. This is going to be another quarter Cato Cato, I think. He runs Wild Beauty in the Dubai Duty Free Stakes. She's a two to one favourite with very solid credentials, really. She has. Uh... A fifth in the Phillies mile she ended up last season um, having uh, previously won in Woodbine um, and, beat, and beaten Pizza Bianca no less so uh, she has got you know, very solid credentials her last two runs particularly particularly good uh, I feel that this race is potentially more open there's there's a potential for, for a horse that we know a lot less about to, to perhaps step, step forward Roger Varian has got Miss Carol Ann of course who'll be quite interesting she ran sixth uh, behind Jumbly at Newbury last, last year last October but it it was particularly soft ground then, probably better judged on her debut at Newmarket. Well, given the variant stable form, might be quite a tasty price at around about 14 to 1. And John Gosden has one in a Guineas trial, which is not that usual. John and Thady Gosden running a horse for uh, Shadwell Shara. Mm-hmm. And of course, the one and only Gosden Guineas winner raced in these silks Lahan all those years ago. Yes, and she is potentially headed. I mean, obviously she's got to pass this test, but she is potentially headed to the French Guineas. That's what where she has entered. She wouldn't be heading to Newmarket. We have had a resolution to the Sir Mark Todd case. A very curious turn of events yesterday at the BHA, Lydia. Just explain what happened or didn't happen, I suppose. Yes, well, this all happened in very short notice. Uh, there was an email that came through to the press at 10 to 2, basically saying that the, the disciplinary panel would convene at 2 o'clock. Um, and there were a remarkably large number of, of press that were able to, to gather themselves within that time. I obviously was broadcasting, so wasn't able to be there. So I've asked the BHA for an explanation, and they told me that the licensing committee convened to consider the interim suspension that was in place on Sir Mark Mark Todd. He had um, his license um, withdrawn when that video emerged on the 12th of February of him hitting the horse on on the rear with a branch multiple times, seemingly to force it towards a water jump in a cross-country schooling session. Um, The video was released by uh, the rider of that horse who had commented that um, she never consented for that to happen to my horse. And this incident took place more than two years ago. So uh, yesterday morning, Morning, licensing committee convened to consider this interim suspension. A directions hearing of the disciplinary panel also te- took place, and this sets out the parameters of the forthcoming hearing. Um, and both of those hearings, the licensing committee and the direction hearings, are always private and are a normal part of the process. And you know, nobody knows when those are going on. Members of the press, not even within the BHA necessarily, but during the course of the morning's hearings, it became clear that there was common ground between the BHA and um, Sir Mark Todd's team an agreed basis of plea was therefore established to be put forward in front of the panel and the panel agreed that it was suitable. So Sir Mark um, accepted the breach of J19 which is concerning conduct prejudicial to the integrity, proper conduct and good reputation of horse racing in Great Britain. Sadly this seems to be a rule that we're quite familiar with lately. Um, So the penalty handed down by the panel was four months suspension with two months of that deferred for two months and that means that the eight weeks that um, Todd had already served was sufficient and he is able to operate under his training license immediately providing there are no transgressions before the 14th of June the deferment will disappear. The inquiry that I asked of the BHA also adds in email form. So what happened at 2pm was that Brian Barker, who is the chair of the disciplinary panel, wished to explain to the media 
all we, know, I mean, we know Brian Barker by now, don't we? He's practically we a friend of the show, isn't he? <laughs> practically, although we've, we've never had him on. Yeah, you, anyway, list, you list, look at the list of your most, the, the listeners who listen most often. And at one stage during last year, I think it was a Louis Weston one, Brian Barker two, you know. So. <laughs> Good, excellent. Good to know that we have that that audience. Anyway, Brian was speaking to uh, the media. This lasted approximately 10 minutes. He acknowledged the very short notice, but the unusual circumstances meant there would have been no opportunity, no other opportunity for the public to hear directly from the panel in that way, had there not been a reading of the ruling into the public record, which the BHA quickly pulled together. So then there was a strong representation um, on that Zoom call. I want to uh, read out what Brian Barker said because it raises some some concerns really. Um, and I'm hoping, I mean, obviously I wasn't there for these 10 minutes and the reasons will subsequently come out. So those will be interesting. So I make these comments strictly within those within those parameters. So Brian Barker said yesterday, the horse showed no sign of fear or distress at any time. The welfare of the horse in the footage does not appear to have been compromised. Sir Mark is calm and is attempting to encourage the horse to drop into the water, having first satisfied himself that the horse was capable of doing so and had no fear of doing so. But Barker added, the use of a light branch rather than a manufactured whip was not appropriate, particularly given the perception its use has generated in some quarters. So remember, this is um, his view, that's Brian Barker's summary of an incident which caused Todd himself to issue a statement on the 13th of February saying, I wholeheartedly apologise to the horse and all involved for my actions in this video clip. One of the main things I preach is about establishing a mutual respect between horse and rider and that patience and kindness is the best way to get results. I believe this is one of the main attributes, along with a great empathy with animals, that has enabled me to have a long and successful career in eventing. I'm very disappointed in myself that I did not adhere to that in this case. And he also stood down as patron to World Horse Welfare. So I will want to understand from the reasons um, why those um, two those two positions to me don't seem to come together very well. Uh, Brian Barker's assessment of what happened and uh, Todd's immediate reaction um, to uh, the the um, upset that was generated by that video going public. But more particularly, I'm interested in that use um, from Brian Barker of the word um, perception. And this sort of keys into J19. If we remind ourselves that J19 is about conduct prejudicial to the integrity, proper conduct and good reputation of horse racing in Great Britain. And I will want to see from the, um, from the reasons from Brian Barker some attempt to quantify what is appropriate in that context. What has been the impact on the uh, good reputation of horse racing in Great Britain? Now, you could argue that um, Todd is more known as a dual gold medalist, as an eventer, that this was an eventing, uh, sorry, a cross-country schooling session. So, you know, does that ha have a, a, an impact, a mitigation on the impact on the uh, reputation of horse racing in Great Britain? But nonetheless, he is licensed by the BHA. And I just want to see some some proof of how, of the degree of impact on the reputation of British racing to have been attempted to be reached. And I'm reminded of the um, referrals committee hearing into Gordon Elliott. That's where they considered Rule 272, uh, little one, um, that he acted in a manner which was prejudicial to the integrity 
proper conduct and good reputation of horse racing. And again, there, my, my concern with that was that the, the, the discussion from the, the referrals committee referred to serious damage and enormous dis distress. But within the reasons that came out there, there was no attempt to actually drill down into what the degree of impact on the reputation of horse nose racing actually was and this seems to me absolutely fundamental in both cases now that's the only analogy i'm drawing between the two cases because obviously uh, in gordon elliott's case this was a, a an image involving a, a dead horse there were no welfare concerns with uh, with todd uh, there there um although Barker says that the welfare does not appear to have been compromised, this did involve a live horse and the use of, open quotes, a light branch, which was deemed to be not appropriate, according to the disciplinary panel. But the, the key point for me is, I really want them to address what was the impact to the reputation of British horse racing as a result of this video. And unless the reasons address that, then I, I think that we ha we've got this phrase of J19, which you might remember yeah. um, in the appeals board came under scrutiny. Um, you know, what does, what does that mean? We, yeah, we th this is the problem. Um, definition. Unless it's in some way defined, it can be, be, be moulded and bent and shaped any which way you want it to be. And hmm. that, that's probably not a very sustainable situation, is it, as we, as we progress with cases like this? Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, I accept entirely that uh, this was an exceptional case. And I appreciate that Brian Barker was keen to communicate with, with something to the public. Um, nonetheless, you wouldn't wish this to be a precedent whereby um, there's only 10 minutes notice to, to, to attend a hearing, particularly one of such import. I mean, I, for example, was uh, attended the first the first one, but not able to attend the second one. And I'm sure lots of people are in the same boat. And, you know, you, you want, I mean, I think it's clear from what happened in the appeals board and the reporting of what took place I mean, place for goodness there, sake, did they not realise you were on air broadcasting at the time? I, it's absolutely appalling. It's, it's, an, uh, it's a bloody outrage for goodness. <laughs> it's goodness. absolutely outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. But no, I, I am obviously <laughs> trying to make a serious point. Sorry. You know, they're, they're, so that's okay. That's okay. No, you're you're right. I mean, it does it does make me sound pompous, but I don't mean to be pompous here. I, I it, there needs to be scrutiny of this. Now, happily, as I said. There were clearly members of the press who were present, the, the Racing Post, the Press Association, the BBC. Dave Yates, our fellow podcaster, was there. So, you know, this, this was scrutinised, but we do need press scrutiny of things like this because, uh, as we saw with the Appeals Board, that is absolutely vital in terms of justice being seen to be done. Well, very much continuing a theme where we're promoting shared ownership this week. It's a great pleasure to welcome Harry Herbert uh, to the pod this morning to talk a little about his brainchild, High Clear Thoroughbred Racing, which, would you believe it, is now in its 30th year. The first runners were in 93, but the company was launched in 1992. Uh, and Harry, when you first launched High Clear Thoroughbred Racing, there wasn't a whole lot like it around, was there? morning Nick. no there wasn't oh my god it's sort of scary to think it was 30 years ago um there wasn't i i'd actually been working in kentucky in america for three or four years and i met um the wonderful cot campbell over there who started dogwood farms which was really i think the first properly run syndicate you know straight partnership business in 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 the world really um and he was very successful at it and i just remember chatting to him and and thinking, goodness, I, I just can't believe this hasn't been done, 
you know, properly, if you like, um, back in the UK. So it was on my got very itchy feet and uh, wanted to get on a plane immediately and head back. And I got my business plan together and um, went off to uh, went off to see the bank manager. And that didn't go quite as well as I hoped. <laughs> um, but eventually they understood it wasn't just sort of punting away or some sort of bookmaking business. And it was actually trying to start something which, um, you know, hopefully had a sound business footing, but was also something that would give, you know, folks the chance to compete at a high level without spending a fortune. And it's a very basic sort of um, premise to start with. And everybody knows the champions you've had. And that's the key as well. You, you can have any number of nice horses, but you, you really need those marquee horses to sort of perpetuate the success. And Harbinger was one such memory motivator. Petrushka, Tamaris, Delilah, the list goes on. You've mentioned Lake Coniston. If there, if there is a day that stands out to you where you thought, well, actually, this has all been worthwhile, what would it have been? Oh, my goodness. I, I, uh, I guess, it, it, I mean, there, there's sort of various places i suppose lake coniston when he won the july cup um was one of the most you know phenomenal well it was a phenomenal performance but it's also you know the, the dream that we had starting the business of, of of winning a group one was was you know everything um and um and i'm <laughs> picking up jeff lewis like he was you know, a child and <laughs> swinging him around in the, in the unsaddling enclosure um it was a wonderful wonderful moment but then Petrushka's Irish Oaks victory um, was an absolute dream come true because, um, again, it was sitting around the campfire when you start something like High Clear, you know, you 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 do dream about, I want to be the first syndicate business to, to win a classic race. Um, and, um, you know, her performance in Ireland in the Irish Oaks was, was absolutely scintillating. Um, and um, I remember talking to my dad afterwards and... and um, uh, you know, getting very choked up, and and he was he, he couldn't speak himself. You know, it had been his dream all his life to um you know to own a classic winner, and he'd come so close a number of times. Um, but um, like so many in the game, owner breeders and others, you know, it's a it's the dream dream, but sometimes it's beyond reach. And you know, when 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 we managed it with Petrushka, it was incredibly emotional. And I guess um, of course Harbinger. I mean Harbinger's performance in the King George or you know been in the business of you know quite a while by that point um and when we bought Harbinger um Johnny Warren was desperate to buy this son of Dan Silly at the sales I mean he couldn't think of anything else and we watched the bidding go up you know wait with winging past 100 and up past 150 and you know that's in a very sort of rarefied atmosphere for us to be considering you know um trying to buy a horse and they got to I think 180 around about that point and and we hadn't bid and I just said to Johnny go go bid bid and um and he said really and I went yeah really and he bid and bought the horse on one bid um and we whooped and danced and then I had to go and call those share owners it was our exclusive syndicate so it was a it was the highest price syndicate anyway 12 share owners and um, everyone agreed to, you know, and actually we're almost excited to spend more money because of the, you know, the, the horse and the pedigree and and the fact that, you know, he ended up being, you know, what he was, a remarkable racehorse on that day um, in 2010, winning the King George by 11 lengths and knocking half a second off the track record and beating two derby winners. Um, it was astonishing. And, 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 and Stoutie, 
Um, he just trained him so brilliantly. Um, did even go on, I think it was on camera as saying, let alone on sound, he's absolutely said that on that day, Harbinger was the equal or better of Shergar. Uh, and and that, was in, that was something extraordinary to hear. And of course, he, you know, he got a phenomenal time form rating and official rating. And, and he's a very successful stallion to churning out group winners in Japan. So how does a syndicate like yours, Harry, stay relevant? We all know about the challenges of the industry. We talk about them a lot uh, on this podcast and elsewhere. How do you stay relevant 30 years on? Um, you, I think you, you've, you've, got to be, um, you've got to be offering a you know, wide variety of, of you know, choice. The menu has got to be interesting, always interesting. Every horse you buy... Um, has to be, and it's a really good word, relevant. It has to be the horse that you're not just adding another horse. Or, you know, we bought that because it's a cheap horse, but a little bit of this, a little bit of that, not the best pedigree, but it's got to be a horse that you absolutely can go out there and put your heart in it and, 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 and sell the colt, the filly, whatever it happens to be. Um, and that, for me and my team, is, is, is really, really important. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think we've bought a horse that there isn't a story behind. So, you know, where we were, why we liked the horse, what was going on, um, whether it's a very expensive or very inexpensive horse, it's still got to pass every test of Team Warren. Or if I'm buying the horse, say with Kevin Ryan, we've had you know some success buying, going up there and and looking at the yearlings he's bought that he hasn't sold and every now and then one absolutely smacking you in the face and you know good example that is digital running at Newbury on Sunday you know really nice lovely sprinting horse and we've we've had others um with him that have done that so uh, I I think for me it's as I say the horse has to be relevant we've got to give people choice from in our range spending probably from five thousand pounds a share you know some of us because yes they would go up to 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 twenty thousand pounds a share but it's all relevant in the big picture. Back to that point of what does it cost? If you had Dobbin, who cost a thousand, he's still going to have to pay significant training fees. Um, so it's not a it's not a cheap sport. But thankfully, through syndicates, not just ours, but a whole range of syndicates out there, you can come in for sixty, fifty, sixty pounds and own a part of a racehorse. You know, we've seen you know the companies out there with having great success. Um, but it is the way for folks to get involved and so long as it's for the reptile business to get a toe in the water and really taste what, what owning a racehorse is all about. Harry Herbert there celebrating 30 years of high clear thoroughbred racing and if Harry is constantly on the lookout to identify new talent then so too are those stallion masters and sellers of nominations who are inspecting stallions first foals around about this time of the year and trying to assess whether they've really got something to go to war with. Within that in mind, it's it's great to check in with Eamon Maloney, who is the nominations manager at Kildangan, Darley's Irish arm, to see what he thinks of the new stock by first season size Gayath and Earthlight, or size with their, their first crop of foals on the ground at any rate. What are you seeing so far, Eamon? Yeah, we're really pleased with, uh, with, with what we've seen. And, and I suppose... On top of that, the reaction that people are giving us, the kind of comments they're using to describe these foals in, in both horses and using, using great kind of superlatives like Belter and different things like that. And, but they really seem to be putting through their different attributes that each of those horses have. And 
at the minute things are very positive for both those horses. All right, so give me some give gives me some specifics. Is there anything, for example, that you can see that characterizes a Gayath foal so far from the limited amount you've got on the ground? Yeah, definitely. There there is they kind of have this size that we're expecting because he has this great physique but the athleticism is is the main comment everyone keeps talking about how much they seem to improve and the gain and the walk he has this phenomenal walk his walk has even improved from last year to this year he's just such an athletic horse seems to be putting that through they're all these real deep rich bay colors a little bit of leg on him which you'd expect because he's a tall horse but just this kind of you can see that the bowie shape in them and I think that's just at the moment. I think people are getting everything they'd hoped for when they sent their sent their good mares to get. Now you're doing a very good job selling him at the moment, but I I have just logged onto your your own Twitter page, and there's a big chestnut with a big white face. So, but he's a lovely foal, I've got to say. Yeah, I think he was too nice. Not he's too nice not to show off. Um, he's uh, he's he's a special foal. He was actually his first foal, and. Um, he was folded in the National Stud. Actually, incidentally, by um, William Brooks' brother folded him in the National Stud. And uh, he's just such a nice foil, you couldn't you couldn't not show him off. Let's talk about Earthlight. He's a, a fascinating side by, by Shamadel. How would they differ? How would the foals you've seen so far, for example, differ from the from the Gayath foals? Well, the, the, two, the two stallions probably couldn't be more different. Um, like, Earthlight is that is a strong, round, really powerful Shamadal, uh, all speed, like record-breaking speed. And the stocks seem to have that. They're round, big hind ends. They're not big. They're not great big tall horses. They're just big, they're strong, strong foals. He's actually quite athletic for Shamadal. That's one of the comments that we got all last year. And that seems to be coming through in the stock the, the, that they walk. And um, I think um, we've seen some foes that you'd really what we'd hoped the kind of that medium size strength power walk looked like early two-year-olds type thing and that's more so for him it's really important he gets those um because he he has to operate in this speed market and it is it is an incredibly um strong market at the moment and at the minute his foes look like they're going to fit into that category I'm interested you say that because you, you would really thought with his profile and his pedigree, he could kind of go either way. You're not really quite sure what, what you're going to get, but you, you think that they are more of that kind of speed type, that more more of that um, sort of power behind the saddle, sprinty type of horse. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, they, they look like they, 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 these are going to be sharper and early. There is no, there is no doubt so far of what we've seen. Um, one of the first foals we had here was a, a kind of a 61k g foal out of a, a, a nice Dubawi mare, and he just looks like he's ready to go already. He's, he, he, he's everything he does is sharp and fast. Eamon Maloney, their nominations manager at Darley's Kildangan Arm in Ireland. All right, it's Friday, which means it's TRC. Global rankings time. James Willoughby along in a moment. Spin you through the top 10 quickly. Really not much has changed since last week. But that's not to say there aren't a few little shenanigans going on in and around the top 10 that, that are interesting. Here we go. 10 is Animo down one for up the track in Randwick. Nine up one, very elegant, though she didn't threaten in the QE2. Eight can trail. Seven, Zaki was beaten, but was he the best horse? He stays at seven. Six, Gran Allegria. Five, Euphoria. Four, Nicks go. Three is Golden. 60. 
to his life is good and Nature Strip still at the top. Uh, Nature Strip could face an intriguing contender at Royal Ascot, more of which in a moment. But first of all, James Willoughby, the QE2 at Randwick looks like a very good place to start this week. Yeah, it, this was a vintage renewal of this with most of Australia's top horses in. Very elegant, improving horses like Dace, I'm Thunderstroke, and of course, Animo, who ended up running badly, didn't quite get home. I don't know if that, there was all that to it, but they were all uh, ups, upstaged by a thrilling duel between Zaki, of course, very well established as a, as a good horse already, but somewhat of an upstart, thinking it over, the winner, who benefited from a great ride from Nashua. Well, if you saw the race, he switched to the stand side. It was very heavy um, that day at Randwick. And Natural Willow did it because primarily because Think It Over is a fast ground horse. And so the connections thought there was no point staying on the inside where it was potentially slower. So they tried uh, switching over to stand side and it worked spectacularly. But I've no doubt, like you, Nick, that Zaki was by far the best horse. He only enhances his reputation in defeat here. He loses actual seven ranking points, which isn't much. It's only a fraction and stays at number seven. And the other contenders have been arranged behind him. You can see here how the rankings work. It's quite interesting to sort of when all lots of really highly ranked horses run the same race, because you can see the mechanics of the rankings. Zaki stays at seven. Animo, who was tailed off, goes from nine to 10 and switches places with a very elegant who ran the race, didn't run very well, but actually finished kind of toward mid-pack. And then behind them, Think It Over, who despite being a 40 to one shot, was already world number 40, goes up to 18. So he doesn't, usurp the main contenders and this is a bit like the arc uh, and a bit like the saudi cup where you've got a, a long shot winner really in rankings terms causing the horses that he defeated to drop in the rankings a little bit just to make the result more consistent with the way that the horses are ranked okay so that's the qe2 just to recap there um very elegant at nine now animo is at 10 zaki stays at seven and think it over the winner of that race is at 18. Now there's a horse coming up on the blind side from the United States that might well be known by our American listeners, but might not be known by our European and Australasian ones. Well, if you're a fan of global racing and that number is swelling in, uh, with every passing year, you're going to get to know this horse because he's globally significant already. I would argue speaker's corner. He's a four year old Godolphin horse trained by Bill Mott. And he's by Street Sense. And like a lot by Street Sense, he's getting better with age. He's won his last three races and four of his last five. And he's really risen up the ranks quite sharply. During the winter meeting at uh, Gulfstream, he won two graded stakes there. But this is really his best effort in terms of form. It's the, he won the Carter Handicap, which is sort of like a trial for the Met Mile, even though it's a grade one in its own uh, right. And he won that very, very easily indeed. Uh, Run into a big figure, 122 on uh, our scale, which is the same as the world's best racehorse ratings. And he moves up as a result to a striking position in, uh, at 13, which means that should he win that Met Mile, or should he go on to the, the Breeders' Cup Mile or even the Breeders' Cup Classic as the season wears on, he's going to be a, pretty much a fixture in the top six. Yeah, and just to read you down the USA trained horses in the, in the top few at the moment, life is good at two, Nick's goes retired at four, Further down, we've got Golden Pal at 11, Hot Rod Charlie at 12, and Speaker's Corner, the horse you mentioned, at 13. So right there on the fringe and not far behind Hot Rod Charlie and Golden Pal. We always talk about Golden Pal. He was spectacular again on his US comeback, setting himself up for a, a great clash at Royal Ascot 
in England with the Australian number one nature strip. Oi, oi. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. How, how bizarre to see uh, horses from America and Australia meet at Ascot, um, both of whom are probably going to dominate the market. And Golden Powell must become now the highest rated turf sprinter in, in American racing during the history of these rankings, moving up to a number 11 from 28. We've actually got him not running quite as well as when he won the, the his Breeders' Cup race spectacularly. That was the turf sprint, of course. But nonetheless, his victory in the Shakertown Stakes was really impressive again for Wes Ward. And Ira Ortiz will have ridden few easier winners. Uh, and those Coolmore partners have got some very interesting horses running at Ascot now. They have. Um, let's talk about the Kentucky Derby because albeit these are horses who you, you might find climbing well up the rankings later in the season. We, we are getting some sort of a guide as to what they've achieved from, from our, our, our computer. Yeah, I went back and had a look at previous years. And these horses, Nick, collectively, are definitely lower ranked as a group than you would expect. And that's because they're less established overall. And the, the, the form has been a little bit confusing. Epicenter who won, has won the Risen Star Stakes, which is a grade two trial for the Louisiana Derby. Then the Louisiana Derby itself remains our number one, uh, number 28 overall. And then White Abario, who, of course, bring a bit of a surprise in the Florida Derby, not to some, of course. And then going down our rankings, we've got Classic Causeway uh, at number three in our Kentucky Derby rank, rankings, Forbidden Kingdom four, not, notwithstanding uh, Disappointment. Simplification at five, Tizabom at six, Cyberknife seven, Crown Pride, the Japanese horse that won the UAE Derby at eight. I don't know whether he's going to take his chance or not. Un Ojo at nine, and Morello at ten. And that number 20, so they're ranked uh, collectively 28, 36, and then 103. Uh, so, as I say, you would expect at this stage, there's only a few weeks to go to the great race, you would expect these horses to be higher ranked. So, it appears to me, Nick, that the, the classic series is going to shed an awful lot of, of light on who the true top three-year-old is in the States, rather than just confirming it, as can sometimes be the case. Yeah, and a horse like Tabor, who's only had two starts and has won the Santa Anita Derby on just his second start, the computer just thinks, well, there's just not enough evidence for me to go on yes. yet. I simply no. don't know where to rank this horse. No, that's right. It, it, it's normally that you need sort of two... Well, any one race for all, I've talked about this before, the rule of two. Horses can fluke if you want. It's not a, a, a term I like, but the horses can benefit from circumstances, let's put it that way, to spring a huge surprise and, and surpass themselves once. It's in, if you research this, going back through the history of horse racing, it's extremely rare for a horse to do that twice. And so that's kind of the way the math works in terms of our rankings. Okay, and James, let's finish this podcast where we started it with, with some sort of uh, guess yes. as to where Native Trail is going to reinsert himself into these rankings yes. when the computer has his say. Well, I was very, very impressed with him in the Craven Stakes off that stop-start pace. And begin to look like he's a horse that really is a really strong test, even at a mile now. And um, he left the rankings, of course, when a horse has been absent for 150 days or more, they drop out the rankings. Now, why do they stay in for 150 days? Well, that's to give the rankings ballast so you don't have kind of fake number ones just because everything else is kind of like in the off-season. Uh, but 
There's also uncertainty, and this is particularly true of when a horse goes from a two-year-old campaign to a three-year-old campaign. There is a good deal of uncertainty, as everyone knows in, who follows horse racing, as to whether horses will train on. And this tells you that Native Trail has trained on, and although his Dewhurst win and other performances last year already cemented him as a world top 30 horse, this gives the rankings a good deal of confidence, the Craven Stakes win, because it, it updates his form. It shows you that he's trained on. It shows you that uh, he's still at least the force he was last year. So I expect him to be pushing the top 15, I should imagine. I, I imagine somewhere in the 15 to 20 range is where we'll find him when the rankings include his performance in next week's release. Okay, thanks to James. Thanks to all my guests today. Lydia is still with me, of course, and she has a tip for you for, well, something for the weekend, I guess. Yes, uh, I am going to go to the Spring Cup. Um, and this was a horse I was very interested in, in the Lincoln. And I thought he rode around an absolute screamer. Um, it's Rogue Bear, oh, Tom Clover. This is Rishi's horse. Behind yeah, I, I think he ran an absolute screamer. Um, the, the race developed away from him over on the far side. He had to come through by himself more towards the stand side. He'd been really progressive last season. I really like him. I think he's drawn well for the Spring Cup. At Newbury, I mean, he's not the biggest price in the world, seven to two at the moment. You never know. Something else might catch people's imagination and you might get a half a point longer or something like that. But uh, road bear in the spring cup. So that's the 335 at Newbury on Saturday. Fantastic, Lydia. Thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back to do it all over again on Easter Monday. But that was Good Friday, April the 15th. Have a wonderful weekend. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.